I'll keep your Bibles or phones open as we uh, look at God's Word together. And uh, Chelsea and maybe Rebecca will help with uh, interpretation. <laughs> so as we approach beginning this Advent season, we're looking forward to Christmas, where we celebrate the Incarnation. And we're going to starting a new season uh, series on that. Uh, perfect time to start since we just finished the book of Ephesians. Um, so we're, we're going to be looking at this series I'm calling uh, God Gave. God Gave. Because when we look at Christmas, as we were just already talking about, it's an important reminder that God has given to us. He is generous, and so because of that, we are generous as well. And we're going to be looking at that from a text in scripture, how that practically looks in our lives. Paul here, he writes 2 Corinthians. I'm going to give us a little more context later, but is talking about just this. And they were poor. The Greco-Roman world at that time had just been going through a famine. Uh, this is written probably around 55, 56 A.D., and between 41 and 56 A.D., there was a famine that was throughout the country, uh, throughout the region. And it really affected especially the believers that were in Judea, that were in Israel. It affected the church there. And you can imagine that uh, being a Christian was hard already at this time. And then there's a famine. And then not only that, uh, but the context is you'd use about, for the normal average working person, you'd use about 85% of your income for your food. 85% of your income you'd use for your food, and there's a famine during this time. So that's the context. Our context is that we have a lot of inflation right now. Most of us are trying to save in order so we can give gifts to maybe our children, our friends, our family. Many of you might be underemployed in our church. You're struggling as it is, right? <laughs> My mom says, amen. <laughs> Some of us are maybe between jobs. Overall, they say inflation is about 7% in our country. I still don't know quite how that works out. It's $4 a gallon for gas. Uh, CNBC last month, uh, they did a report about the current inflation in key areas. I know this hits home to me. We just had to did a car repair last week and then we got stranded up in Gurney for a few hours yesterday um, because our, our uh, the serpentine belt on our car broke and so motor vehicle repair and maintenance is 10% inflation right now. Electricity and frozen fruit and vegetables, frozen fruit guys, you, you love that? 14% inflation, 14% inflation. Milk, bread, poultry, right? Big staples and pet food, 145 to 15% inflation. We got a lot of pet lovers in our church, including Leslie and family, and then a lot of the rest of our church, actually, who's not here, they all, like, all have pets, they love dogs. So hard to have a pet. And this is probably the most important number, I think, here, at least for Chelsea and I, I know, is roasted coffee. The inflation for roasted coffee is 15.6%, right? 
15.6%. This is, oh man, I'm a coffee addict, so this is hard. Gas is 17.5%. Utility gas service, 20%. Ouch. Health insurance, 20.5%. Public transportation, 28%. Airlines, you're feeling this, 43%. Eggs, 43%. Food at work and school is 92% inflation. So what I learned from this, reading this, was like, all right, don't take the bus or train, don't buy eggs, don't travel at all, and don't have food at school or work, all right? <laughs> there are many reasons for us right now not to be generous according to the flesh. But the po point Paul makes here, and that God is making and wants to encourage us, encourage his church, is that a grace-filled generosity that we see mirrored in Christ. What we want to look at, he's writing here to a church, Corinth, in, that's in Greece, and he's talking to them about the Macedonians. So it's helpful here, I thought it was helpful for me to look at this map. So there's a map on your bulletin. You can see that part of the peninsula there where Greece is located, in case you're not sure about your geography. And then right above that, north of that, is Macedonia. You might know Macedonia from uh, Alexander the Great. He was from Macedonia originally, though we think of him as being from Greece. And there are some books in the Bible. Philippi is in Macedonia. That's a book in the Bible, right? The Philippians. Thessalonica, also a book in the Bible. Amphipolis, Larissa we see. Pella, it was the capital. Amphipolis, Apollonia, these are all other places that are mentioned in the Bible that were in ancient Macedonia. Corinth was a major city in Greece, northern Greece. We see Paul in the book of Acts, Acts 15, 16, and 20. He was in Macedonia, and he was in Corinth. He was in Greece in Acts 17 and 18. So we know a little bit about that from Scripture in the book of Acts. So Paul first visited Corinth, giving us a little context here to help us out around 49.50 A.D., and he was there for a year and a half. A year and a half. So he knew this church really well. He planted this church. Under the Romans, Corinth was rebuilt as a major city in southern Greece. It had a mixed population of Romans, Greeks, and Jews. Now, we have a mixed population in Carroll Stream and Glendale Heights. Just about, he talks about here, about the joy over this news he, he just refers to in these passages because Titus had just come back from Corinth to Paul. He had just come back and he told, was telling them about the Corinthians. He was telling them that he returned from Corinth. In the last letter, it was joyful because the Corinthians were telling Paul, hey, we want to give also to these churches in Jerusalem. He talks about this here. We'll explain more about that. Because, again, there was a famine and it was throughout the region, and it really hit the church in Israel, in Judea, very hard. And they wanted to give to this collection that Paul had had for the churches in the area. So we see, first point here, looking at verses 1 through 6, is generosity reveals God's grace. Generosity reveals God's grace. Let's look at that. Verse 1. Paul is writing from Macedonia... And he wants the Corinthian church to know about this grace, the gift of God given the churches in Macedonia. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace God has given among the churches in Macedonia. 
And what is this gift? Is this gift that they have achieved this really good status in the community? No. Is it celebrity pastors? Is it wealthy patrons? Is it these amazing miracles, these gifts of healing that has been given to the church? No. It's a severe test of affliction, but they have been generous in the severe test of affliction. And he says this, verse 2, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So, picture this on the equation right here. There's an abundance of joy plus extreme poverty. Abundance of joy plus extreme poverty have equaled an overflow of generosity. They were joyful, they were extremely poor, and that showed then it overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Not what you typically think would happen. We learned two, two things from this about generosity, two things. It takes place out of abundance joy. God loves a cheerful giver, right? Is a often quoted verse, but that's so true. It's not under compulsion. It's not that we have to do something. That never has worked for me that I have a checkbox Christianity, rules-based, and, oh man, I gotta be generous, I have to. No, that doesn't work out being a generosity from the heart. Second, we found out about generosity is it's not negated by extreme poverty. You can be generous and yet be extremely poor. That's okay, and that's good news for us. That's good news for us as a church. We're not like an extremely wealthy church. Generosity reveals God's grace. Generosity reveals God's grace. That's what Paul really wants us to know today. And we see, I thought immediately from this great uh, verse, this passage that maybe will come to your mind too, and from Luke 21, where Jesus, he notices. He notices this really poor woman. All these rich people are going in, these very religious people, these pastors, their scholars, and these uh, rich people in Jerusalem, and they're putting in their money into the offering box. You can hear it clank. You know, they're, oh, look at this. There's a fanfare of trumpets as they're putting in their money into this offering box. And yet Jesus notices this poor widow. It says this. It says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts in the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all, they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in all that she had to live on. Amazing stuff. Jesus sees that this poor widow do this. Verse 3, here's another thing that we learn about generosity. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. So he's... he's Stopping, he's hanging out with the Macedonian church there, and they added to this collection that he's been going around collecting for the saints. And they had begged him to be able to do this. Uh, well, we're going to get to that in verse 4. But they gave out of their means, he says. So it's according to one's means. So this is helpful also for us. So the first thing is that it means that, all right, if you are a Wall Street CEO, all right, then you're supposed to give out of your means, all right? Maybe for them, it is 20% of their income, 20% of their income, all right? Would mean maybe that they're being generous. All right, or say if you're an older widow who has no income, maybe you're living off the state at that point, social security, maybe 2% of your income from your 
$400 Social Security paycheck is generous, right? So it's according to your income. First thing, that's what it means. Second thing is it is also above your means. Generosity is above your means, right? Uh, and that's a little bit harder. For, for they gave according to their means, he says, but also beyond their means, on their own accord. This is helpful. Uh, C.S. Lewis has uh, this quote. He says this when it comes to generosity. He says, I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. If our giving habits do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we want to do but cannot do because our giving expenditures exclude them. So he's saying that real giving has to hurt. That's why it's not always a good general rule to say, all right, I just give 10% to the church. I give 10%. That could be just way hard for this widow, right, that we're talking about. Impossible to do, perhaps. Or, like we said, this Wall Street CEO, all right, 10%, eh, that's nothing for him. Maybe that's a drop in the bucket. But it, generosity is also above our means. But there's so much joy in the generosity that they beg to give. That's what we see in verse 4. They begged us earnestly for the favor. So Paul didn't want, he wasn't coercing them. He wasn't trying to say, hey, you want to give to this? Hey, I'm doing this. You say, no, they heard about it. And even though they were in poverty too, these churches in Macedonia, they weren't from a well-off area. There was a famine going on. They're like, hey, we want to give to this. We want to help our brothers and sisters that are in Israel. So they gave on their part to take part in the relief of the saints. That's what he's talking about here, giving to this, this church in, in Jerusalem. Let's go on to verse 5. And this is, and this is my, well, before I say that, this is my, my dream for our church. I know there's uh, just a few of us here right now that are listening, but that we, as a church, when, when someone has a financial problem, you know, that when someone hears about it, we're like, oh, man, let's, let's pull together our resources, you know? Let's help each other out with this. Let's help so-and-so that's really struggling. I've seen God do amazing things like that as people in community groups didn't have cars, and someone gave them a car in the community. That happened to my brother and sister-in-law. I've seen that happen to relatives of mine where people have written $1,000 checks anonymously and like, hey, Someone from the church wants to give you this because you're at a, such a hard time. You're at a job loss right now. Wow. And that's a picture of the church. The church, the early church in Jerusalem, it says that no one had need among them. No one had need. That's amazing. We're so far from that. And I'm, I'm looking at myself here of like, man, I just want to have such more of a generous attitude toward my church here. Verse 6. It says, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. So Titus was just in Corinth, where we're writing from, and he's got back word from them about this. So he had heard news. He brought them that, hey, the Corinthians, Paul, they do want to give. They want to give. So he's like, man, this is awesome. All right. I'm excited that they want to give too. Titus was a missionary pastor. Um, there was also a book after him that Paul wrote later on in his life called Titus, you might know from the book. So he was a missionary, he was a church planner, he was a pastor, he was one of friends with Paul. And he wants to complete this gift, this grace, by giving. Generosity shows, it reveals God's 
grace. Why? Because it's supernatural. It's not natural to be generous. It's not natural to be generous when you're having a, a severe test of affliction. It's not generous for us. We want to be stingy. We want to hoard not only our wealth, but whatever. We want to be self-preserving. That's what we want to be. But it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It reveals God's grace. It gives the character of who God is. So our church also can be generous and show God's character this way as a grace, as a show the grace that it is. Paul says elsewhere, before I move on to the next point, he says elsewhere that, that we adorn Christ by our good works. We adorn Christ. So he talks about this elsewhere where um, the gospel, um, our good works adorn the gospel. That just like a woman, he talks about how um, tastefully she wears her clothing or her makeup. It points to her face and her, it adorns her own beauty that she has. And so we also, by our good works, by our generosity, show to our head Christ. It shows how beautiful Jesus is when we are generous. It's like being the salt of the earth. It adds flavor to the world. So this is Paul's point. Generosity reveals God's grace. Secondly, generosity is an act of grace. We see this in verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you excel also in this grace as well. So the church in Corinth was awesome. They had many spiritual gifts. Actually, this was actually a problem to the church. But they also had faith. They had speech. They were good in knowledge and in honesty, earnestness. And they were rich in also that like, hey, we love you guys so much. You're rich in our love that we have for you. Paul and other workers loved this church. But he also encourages them to be generous as well. See that you excel in this grace also. It could be easy for them to say, hey, we're really good at all these other things. Man, that can be easy for us too. Like, hey, I'm really good at evangelism. I'm really good at this. I have good quiet times. Um, I'm really good at doing this and that. I'm good in my character, whatever. But uh, hey, my giving, my pocketbook, uh, you know, God, don't touch that. Don't touch my pocketbook. But he encourages them too, all right, to be very generous as well. This is a temptation, I think, for all of us. We could be really good at many areas except for this. I mean, he's talking about collecting for people that were 817 miles away. 817 miles away is Corinth from Judea and Jerusalem. And they didn't have trains. They didn't have boats you could just jump on and get there or airplanes. I'm never going to see these guys. They're probably never going to see them. Why would I want to send them my money? But they were wanted to give. They wanted to excel also in this area of spiritual grace and discipline in their lives. Generosity is an act of grace. Generosity is an act of grace. I know, um, you know, this is something that God does in our lives. A different point. I remember when I was actually in college, uh, I can't remember, it was my freshman or sophomore year in college. And I remember it was a freezing cold weekend. I think it was a Saturday. And it was just freezing. And for some reason, 
my friends and I, I don't even remember why, uh, I went with some sophomores, I think, and uh, some other people on my floor to um, go into Chicago. So we went to the city, we took the train, and it, it's just freezing there. And I hadn't really had a real jacket either, so I'm, I'm bundled up in my California clothes and, and different uh, you know, layers and stuff. And I remember that I see this homeless man. And I tried to talk to him, even though it's just biting cold. And I say, is there anything I can do? Do you need? And for some reason, it was just this work of the spirit. Uh, I was like, hey, can I, can I give you any warm clothes? Do you need a scarf or something? I was just like, Man, can I give him something? I don't have money. Can I? And he says, yeah, you know, I'm freezing my butt off here. Yeah, a, a scarf would be good. So I took the scarf off my own neck and gave it to him. All right. So why do I say this? I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but I remember God was doing something that those few years right, or right in that period in my life of just a heart of generosity. And I was getting a real heart for the needy and for um, the poor. And it is an act of grace in my life. I remember I felt so good about it. And it was a change too in my life at that period that, that set me up later down the road because it was a supernatural work of God in my life. That's what it does, generosity toward others. All right, third point. Generosity reminds us of the gospel of grace. We see this in verses 8 and 9. Generosity reminds us of the gospel of grace. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So it's interesting. Paul could, and he does in other places in his writings, and he could pull out his apostle card. I mean, man, I would be tempted so, so many times to use that thing. Man, I'm an apostle. All right, Jesus literally appeared to me. All right, it's like I couldn't be one of his 12 disciples when he was walking around, but so he came and he appeared to me. All right, I'm writing scripture here, people. All right. And he could say to people, all right, I want you to do this, church. And there are places where he, he, he does really put the hurt on people in a good godly way where he says, hey, I want you to do this. He doesn't do that to, to the Corinthian church. He doesn't do that. He doesn't twist their arm, though he could. And like the Macedonian churches, he is encouraged, though, that he wanted their love to be genuine from the heart. And that's what love does. Love by its nature is selfless. It's sacrificial. It's others-focused. It's not self-preserving. That's why um, marriage can be such a beautiful thing. Um, family can be such a beautiful thing. As parents are so radically sacrificial in giving to their kids, even though their kids don't appreciate that often at all. I know that's not you, though. <laughs> For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to say this verse again. It's so good. That though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. You see, that's what we see in Christmas, guys. Um, the philosopher, the Christian philosopher Kierkegaard, a couple centuries ago, he says this. He gives this great story of this king, and he has this dilemma because there's this poor maiden, this young girl who's this peasant, 
and she is just so poor. She's trying to scratch out a living um, in this little hovel, this little shack she lives in, and she is so utterly poor. And he's talking to his counselors, his advisors, and he's saying, what, what do I do? I love her, all right? I'm crazy about her, but if I come and show myself to her and all my royal pomp, she's going to be like, oh, yeah, oh, yes, this is an escape from my life of poverty. Yes, of course I'll, I'll marry you, you know? Or he could come with his armies and say, all right, you're going to marry me, you know? But how romantic is that? He's like, just what am I going to do? They're giving him advice. He goes through all these different scenarios that I, I won't go into. But at the end of the day, he says, you know what? He puts aside his rule. He puts aside his wealthy, his nice clothes. And he goes and he is a peasant farmer. And he lives as a peasant farmer, not saying who he is to anyone so that he can try to win her over and that it would be genuine and from the heart. And this is what Jesus Christ does for us. He comes and he lays aside his glory and power. He becomes not only physically poor, but poor in every other way in our lives. He became poor for us so that we could be poor for others, Paul says. He became poor for you so you could give generously to others. He was spiritually and physically rich, right? Jesus was. He owns everything. He became spiritually poor, though, right, on the cross to make us spiritually rich. Therefore, he says, you can bless others spiritually by giving financially. You're going to be such a spiritual blessing to these churches he's talking about. You can part with the world's wealth to make others glad in God to make others spiritually rich through your giving. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. I want to close with one, one more um, story that I love that's, that's really meant a lot to me the last five years or something like that as I think about this. And such a, a um, he, he is the, uh, the real life example. Well, it was a real life example too, but an example for us of, you know, the, the rich young ruler that Jesus meets, right? And uh, Jesus says, all right, hey, I want you to give all your poverty away to, um, excuse me, all your wealth away to the poor and then come follow me. And of course, the man goes away sad, right? But he's the guy who actually followed in on this. Charles, or we know him better as C.T. Studd, was born in 1860, Britain. So that 1860, right, the American Civil War is just starting to help you in your mind. By the time Charles was 16, he became an expert cricket player. He was in an incredibly wealthy family for the time. And he becomes one of the best cricket players in the world. And he could have totally followed that lifestyle, but he chooses not to. He did go to Eton College, Trinity College, and Cambridge, some of the best universities of the world of his day. It would be like someone today is going to say, hey, I went to Stanford and I went to Yale. He has this incredibly wealthy background. And at Cambridge, when he was 19 years old, he became one of the best cricket players in the world. All right, so cricket, we don't think of much today. Unless you're Indian or British, you don't care about cricket at all. But all right, at that time, 
world's most popular sport, all right? So for us, maybe that he was becoming, he was like LeBron James of cricket, all right? He was the LeBron James of cricket. And he chose to give that all up. God gets a hold of his heart in such a powerful way. At 25, he decides, I'm going go to go to China to be a missionary. When no one was going at that time to China. No one was going. It was while in China that he reached the age of 25. And according to his father's will, he was to inherit this absolutely large sum of money. He would only be able to access this when he was 25. And CT felt that he was led by God to give away his fortune away to missions in China, in India, and in Africa. He gives away 90 to 95% of his wealth. It would have been equivalent to millions of dollars today. Millions of dollars. He just gives away. In fact, it's a funny story, or it's an interesting story. His wife, they had recently married, he, he kept a little bit of that money. Like I said, he gave away 90, 95%. He kept a little bit of that money. And she goes to him and says, Charles, you can't do that. You need to give it all away. She was so radical. So not only is she living there in China as this, um, this incredible lifestyle, she says, all right, you need to give it all away. You know, there's no insurance plan. And over the next several years, he, go, he serves in China, in India, and in Africa, the places that he had actually gave his money away to years before. And that these, and he fueled missions in those continents for the next hundred years. He said this, if Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. He gave up the whole world everything and he gained his soul. Jesus was everything to him and the world was nothing. He generously gave. He wrote the lines of this poem. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. His motto was this. Well, I already said it. You see, Christ did that for us and infinitely more. He gave up the comforts and riches of heaven. He gave up the inexhaustible wealth of his father's throne to come poor to be born to a poor Palestinian carpenter, to be born to a young Israeli virgin. He became poor to make us rich in our faith. Let us make our faith complete, friends, by giving generously to others, especially to other churches and Christians in need. So Paul here encourages us to have a, a grace-filled, a grace-saturated generosity rooted and mirrored in Christ because God gave. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that God gave. I pray that we would remember that this Advent season, as we look forward to Christmas, and it wouldn't be cliche for us, it wouldn't be trite, it wouldn't be superficial, but it'd be from the heart, it'd be genuine. You'd develop such a love in us for others, other-centeredness, that we are generous in our giving because God gave for us. We pray that you change us and change our hearts by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <music>